0: You don't know who I am, my name's Neil, and I have uh, the privilege of being a lay reader at the church. Now, this morning we are going to be continuing to look at the parables of Jesus, which actually talk about the kingdom of heaven. And uh, in his parables, Jesus used examples that were taken from the everyday life of the people who were listening to him, and he used those examples to illustrate the point he wanted to make so it follows that it might help us if we are to get something out of this uh, if we make the mental effort to try and place ourselves in the position of these first listeners now unfortunately for most of us we've lost our connection with agriculture and so some parts of today's parable might not resonate with us. Firstly, if we think of a weed, the image that comes to mind, for me anyway, is a dandelion that I pull out of my flower bed. Um, but that isn't the weed that's talked about in this parable. The word that's used actually refers or it is now translated as weed and traditionally as tares, actually refers to a plant called bearded darnel. And that's a plant that's indistinguishable from wheat until it starts to produce its seed head. It looks like wheat, it grows to the same height as wheat, and when it starts to produce its seed head, that's when you can notice the difference. If you're good at agriculture. Now the problem with this plant is that it carries a poisonous fungus which if consumed can prove fatal. So if you had wheat contaminated or flour contaminated with darnel it was useless. So for the farmer Removing the darnel plants as soon as possible before their seeds ripened was essential. But unfortunately, in doing that, you've got to tread all over the field, squash some of the wheat plants as you uproot the others. So your crop is going to be considerably reduced. The original listeners would also know that to sow... Two different types of seed in one field was against the laws given by God to Moses. And they would also be aware that there was in existence a Roman law which went, was in in, time, I've forgotten the words, a Roman law which was specifically to deal with the act of sabotaging a crop of wheat by sowing darnel in it. So this wasn't a situation that would be unknown to the listeners. But I don't know how many of you knew it. I didn't until about two weeks ago. It was the sort of thing that an angry evicted tenant might do to the landowner to get his revenge. So with this background in mind, I'd like us to listen to the parable. I say listen, don't look at the notes. Listen, because I want you to hear it as the first listeners heard it. And as you do listen with those facts in mind, I wonder what strikes you What comes out of that parable that they heard? So, um, if our reader can come, Joel, if you could come and read the first part, please. Thank you. So,
1: we're in Matthew chapter 13, um, verses 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn.
0: So I wonder what you got out of hearing that. This is my interpretation of of what they might have got out of it. Well, the kingdom of heaven is the realm over which God reigns. So surely then the kingdom of heaven is where God's will is obeyed. So they would probably expect an immediate and absolute division between the good and the bad. Yet this story implies that there's good and bad living together, side by side. And frustratingly for them, and illogically for them, the bad will not be dealt with as quickly or in the way that they would expect But eventually, weeds will be bundled up and burnt. Only the good wheat is going to be safely gathered into the barn, which is a happy ending, unless you're a weed. So can we now have the second part of the reading?
1: Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil." The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Thank you.
0: So before I go on, I just want to take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, take these words and use them as you will, to your glory. Amen. Jesus' interpretation explained the meaning of the different parts of the story. The Son of Man sows the good seed. Now Jesus often used this title for himself. It actually comes from Daniel chapter 7 where God gives one who looks like a son of man authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That comes from Daniel. So Jesus is planting good seed in the field. Now, the field isn't the church. The field is the world, which today does include the church. But the fact that the field is the world for the disciples would have been a very significant thing because it meant that Jesus' mission wasn't just to Israel but to the whole world. The good wheat comes into God's barn from all over the world, from every race, every culture, from all ranks of society, and from every historical age of mankind. By that I mean the Tudors, the Normans, any age you can think of. The children of God are the good seed, being scattered with abandon in the world to exponentially increase the kingdom while there is still time. And the people whose hearts have been influenced by God's word, those who believe and trust in Jesus, not just in words, but also in the way they live their lives, loving God with all their heart, With all their soul, with all their mind, and loving their neighbour as they love themselves. The seed sown by Jesus has been encouraged to grow and flourish in their hearts. The children of the evil one are the weeds, those whose hearts have been influenced by the enemy. Those who reject God's grace or actively rebel against God's will. Those whose attitudes and actions bring more harm into the good world that God has made. Those who act in an unloving way with no regard for the painful negative effect their impatient, unmerciful unjust behavior has on any others. The one thing that the weeds have in common is that the seed sown by the enemy has been allowed to grow unchecked in their hearts. And the enemy is the devil or Satan. The Old Testament tells us that the devil is an angel who rebelled against God And was evicted from heaven. He is the prince of evil spirits, an incurable enemy of Christ. And so we get to the harvest, the end of the age. When it's two two times the end of the age, it's either when Jesus returns, the actual end of the age, Or for us, if it hasn't happened while we're still alive, it's when our earthly life comes to an end. This is when the weeds will be separated from the wheat. The time when we will all stand before our maker to receive his judgment This is a parable about spiritual warfare and the consequences we face according to the position we take in that conflict. And for me, this parable teaches us two things about judgment. And the first thing is that God has a plan for dealing with evil And those who do evil, judgment will come, and evil will be destroyed, but not yet. So, again, like those first listeners, how can we be living in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, if evil is still present? I accept it's very difficult to get our heads around that. But currently we are living in the already but not yet reality of Christ's kingdom. The kingdom has already broken into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's already at work in the hearts of believers through the Holy Spirit. But the kingdom hasn't yet reached its fulfilment. In this way... The kingdom is like seed planted in a field. It's going to grow and eventually be harvested. The harvest will be the fulfilment of the kingdom when Jesus returns. And it's at this point that God will remove everything that causes sin and all who do evil. But it's still difficult to accept that evil exists, even while God's reign is already present. In his book, Stories with Intent, A Comprehensive Guide to the Parables of Jesus, Klein Snodgrass reminds us that the kingdom comes with limitless grace in the midst of an evil world, The issue is one of identity. If we take our identity from the kingdom of limitless grace, how will that identity be lived out? In other words, if we are the recipients of God's love, God's mercy, God's justice, God's patience, how should we behave in the world? the distinction between a person that Jesus recognises and someone he does not recognise isn't something you can see. It's something that happens in the heart. People look at the outward appearance, but Jesus looks at our hearts Later on in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus said, It's the things that come from our heart that defile a person. What determines if we are wheat or weeds is the quality of love in our hearts for Jesus and for others. And this leads me to the second point that I think the parable has to say to us in today's social media-obsessed cancel culture. And that is, don't be too quick to judge others. In 2 Corinthians, Paul Paul tells us that Satan loves to masquerade as an angel of light. In other words, he loves to pretend to be something that he isn't, and he loves to plant those in the world who look like the real thing he intends to contaminate. You see, you may think I'm wheat. I might be weeds. But I look like wheat because of what I'm doing. The world is filled with people who are saved and people who are lost. But you and I aren't always in a position to decide or to tell which is which. It's difficult uh, for us to discern by appearances who are wheat and who are weeds because we can't tell just by first impressions of a tweet if we don't have the right understanding or any other knowledge about them. The helpers wanted to remove the weeds as soon as possible, but the farmer said, No, wait, because the roots of the weeds were entwined with the roots of the wheat. And in uprooting the weeds, they may also uproot the wheat. We live in a world where sin and evil things happen, and try as we might with the best intentions that we can muster, there will be times when we may well be connected to activities which result in harm being done to the world and to other people. We're all subject to the influence of the society and culture into which we were born and which we live. Along with all the different communities that we engage with throughout our lifetime. For example, schools, the world of work, social media groups, friendship groups, sports clubs, etc. Within every one of these groups, there will be a consensus of what is acceptable, a good attitude, and what is an insufferable attitude. But these things are not always set in stone. Over time, what was once regarded by a community as something good can become unacceptable. And what was once regarded as something bad becomes acceptable. I'm going to give you some examples now from my life's experience. And please, I am not making any judgment, good or bad, about the things I'm going to say. In my lifetime, these things have all been regarded by British society as the right thing to do. Primary school and secondary school boys were caned. I witnessed it. Smoking was a convivial social activity. Women couldn't be ordained. An unmarried man and woman living together were regarded with scorn. Abortion was illegal. Pregnant unmarried young women would experience social stigma and were encouraged to give up their babies for adoption for two reasons to give the child a better chance in life and to make it easier for the woman to make her way in the world. Homosexuality was illegal and punishable by imprisonment and people were executed for murder. All of those things have happened in my lifetime. And all of these attitudes and actions are now considered to be unacceptable. So does that mean that everyone who lived at the time and accepted those attitudes and actions as good should be considered weeds? Or conversely, what if they were actually the right attitudes? does that mean that everyone living now should be considered weeds? And what on earth does it say about me? Because I've lived through both times. Another example. Consider two people who've chosen a vocation in the caring profession. One of them is a carer in a nursing home. And during COVID, chose to live and sleep at the home with the residents of the home for a period of several weeks not going to see their family but they chose to do this to help protect the residents from catching covid the other is a member of a different caring profession whose trade union instructs them to strike for more pay even though they know it will have a negative impact on the people they care for. Which of these two caring professionals is the wheat and which is the weed? And the answer is, we cannot say. It's not our job to decide what these people are. We may sometimes be tempted to look at someone's appearance or actions and think, they don't reflect the love of Christ. They're weeds, that their views should be ignored. Worse still, that they shouldn't belong to the church. We might hope to huddle together in our own bubble of righteousness in which everyone believes exactly what we do. We might point fingers and think we know better than others who seem to believe but live differently to us that simply is not true because we don't know what's in the hearts of those around us. We don't get to play judge to accept or condemn people on the grounds of our understanding of the rules that we should live by. Only God can do that and he will do so at the end of the age. At the harvest, when everything was ripe, it was going to be easier to make a distinction between the weeds and the wheat. Likewise, at the proper time, those who are of the kingdom versus those who are not will clearly be apparent to God. The truth is, we are all sinners and have fallen short of God's glory and are in desperate need of his grace. However, the Gospels remind us that his love is for everyone. The good news for the weeds is that they don't have to stay weeds. Now, in the agricultural world, weeds never transform into wheat. That sort of metamorphosis is unheard of. But in the spiritual world, it happens regularly. When people come to repentance, turn away from what the ways they have been living, and turn to God and put their trust in Jesus Christ, then the weeds become wheat. And God's desire is for as many people as possible to know him and be part of his kingdom. Everyone has the opportunity to belong if only they will accept him. But sadly, there will always be those who reject God's grace and they will not enter the barn at the harvest. The Lord Jesus Christ will not destroy the wicked yet, because he's waiting patiently for them to repent. As he waited for you, just as he waited for me. As he died for you, just as he died for me, he also died for them. Our God Has amazing grace. As the author of that song, John Newton, discovered when he first found faith and gave up his role in the slave trade, eventually became a priest and advocated for the abolition of slavery. If we, as people recognized by others as Christians, instinctively judge others according to the standards of our own spiritual, particular spiritual bubble, we may end up becoming a stumbling block for those wanting to come to God, wanting to know and follow Jesus. We may end up doing the devil's work. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, do not judge others and you will not be judged for you shall be treated as you treat others. The standard you use is the standard by which you will be judged. Now in doing work for this sermon or this talk, I read countless commentaries and the talk on this particular parable is wide and in many cases contradicts each other. So for me, and everything I've said has come from me, this parable should cause us to focus on what is in our own hearts, rather than what someone else is or is not doing. This parable for me has made me focus on loving God, on do I really love God and love my neighbour as myself? And in focusing on my own heart, I want to weed out the things that stop me doing that. The things that stop me demonstrating God's love, God's mercy, his patience, his tolerance, and above all, his forgiveness. If we focus on what's in our hearts and living out those commands in the reality of our world, then others will come to Christ because of us. And we will grow into fruitful wheat plants with several ears. And then we will shine like the sun in the Father's kingdom. We will be radiantly beautiful in God's eyes. And that is indeed wonderful news for those with ears to hear and understand. Amen. A short prayer Heavenly Father, we pray that you will work in our hearts to ensure that we flourish as wheat. Lord, thank you that whenever we make mistakes, we can turn again to you, and you will forgive us. Help us, Lord, to purify with your help our hearts. Amen. We're going to